0: Good evening, everybody. This is Darius Assemi with GV Wire. Welcome to another episode of Unfiltered. Mike Rabasi is with us, but not in the studio. He's joining us remote. Good evening, Mike. Evening, Darius. Good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, we have uh, two great episodes for you this evening. Uh, to start things off, well, actually, we're gonna. We have a few other items to start things off, but we're going to start off our our first panelist uh, or guest, I should say, is. Bob Nelson, the superintendent uh, of, of Frozen Unified. I was going to say superintendent of public education for the state of California, but that's not Bob Nelson. That's Tony Thurman. Bob Nelson, let's put Bob on, and we say, let the audience say hello to Bob. Good evening, Bob. Uh, good
1: evening, Daria. It's good to hear from you and Mike. Thanks for letting me be on tonight. No, I am not uh, taking on the statewide responsibilities of superintendent, no.
0: No, but, but uh, f- uh, superintendent uh, of uh, frozen Unified, uh, school District, all 74,000. Thank you for being on the show or coming on the show tonight. We, we appreciate that. Um, Absolutely. And then uh, the second half of the show, we're going to discuss Palestine, Israel. We have Hamid Entizam, a scholar in uh, Middle Eastern. Uh, that's not Hamid Mavani. That's, there you go, Hamid Entizam. Okay. Um, Hamid Entizam, uh, who's uh, a, a, a really a specialist yeah, theologian, specialist uh, in Middle Eastern studies, to talk about what's going on in Gaza, Palestine, Israel, uh, and, it, and 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 what what are some of the solutions uh, to um, to the to what what we see out there today? Um, so that's kind of the second half of the show. But let's uh, start off. We're gonna we're gonna start the show by showing the first couple of slides which is unrelated well actually no the first one is a poll should the US send troops to Israel? 55% of the Facebook respondents to the poll said no we already give 3.8 billion dollars a year to Israel followed by yes we stand with Israel okay Let's see, what else do we have, Uh, Mr. Paul or Chad? Do we have anything else unrelated? No, we don't. Oh, the dog?
2: What's the dog? Oh, Oh. yeah. Uh, Mike, uh, do you have a dog story you want to share? Yeah, if we have the slide available for all the dog lovers out there, there is a dog who was from Portugal. I think we talked about him maybe last year on the show. He died, unfortunately, but he was 31 years old. Never oh had any God. processed foods. He ate fish, never had any processed foods. I hopefully we will do a subsequent segment on this and with a vet to talk about what we can do to keep our pets alive, because obviously nutrition makes a big difference. They're going to do a big case study on this dog, but unfortunately he did pass away this weekend. 31 years old. 31. Verified.
0: Mike, uh I'm going to say this. You're going to probably be the most popular person in not only the United States. You have to run for president now. If you come up with a solution on how dogs can, la- can live past 15, 17,
2: 18 years old. If I could find an answer to that, this would be a much happier world. All of us would. The uh, best thing to do is go home. No matter who's yelling at me that day, my dogs love to see me. I think we all can say that. There you <laughs> so. go. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay. So with that, let's just dive right into Fresno Unified School District. Um, you know, we heard a lot about, let's put Bob on the screen, please. Okay. That's not Bob. That's Mr. Krawasi. And here's Bob. Can we put Bob and I on the screen? Yes. Okay. So we hear a lot about strikes. Um, but these are not air strikes, right? I mean we like in the news last two weeks, you know, air strikes into Gaza, strikes back. This is a different kind of strike. Correct, Bob?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I mean, you're talking about a work stoppage, although they seem to be super popular right now, whether it's SAG-AFTRA or it's Kaiser or it's the auto workers. Uh, this seems to be a really common theme in the American landscape right now.
0: So tell, so there was a vote today by a Fresno Teachers Association where they said, uh, if we can't get to come to terms, we have authorization to strike, which means all the teachers at Fresno Unified are going to stay home. I'm assuming. Is that correct?
1: Actually what happens in the case of a work stoppage is they'll engage in concerted work activities. So what you'll see basically is a picket line out in front of the schools for the teachers that choose to do that. It's not universally mandated that everybody will, but the ones that choose to strike um, have the opportunity to do that. So they this morning they declared their intention, um, if we don't land an agreement, that they would be out on the picket line beginning the 1st of November, which would be a week from tomorrow. But we are still, I mean, it is noteworthy. We're still bargaining at current. Uh, I am currently at, I'm currently kind of on a meal break right now, but we're going to go back and keep bargaining the issues of concern in live time. So, I mean, the goal is to land an agreement so that our kids are not in any way impacted, but schools will be open and we will still have class and, and, We'll try to keep things as normal for our kids as we possibly can in the event of a teacher strike. Got it. Uh, can you
0: tell us or tell the GB Wire audience any of the details? Uh, you had a, you know, you came out last week and said, hey, we're offering all of these things and we're just so far apart. Could you offer any, any details?
1: Yeah, we came out with a proposal, which was our second proposal last Friday, a week ago Friday, where we talked about a, a 19- percent wage increase that's broken down as follows eight and a half percent in the first year ongoing then the second year was an additional three percent ongoing and a 2.5 percent one-time payment and then in the third year out which is the duration of our contract of three years it was another two and a half percentage ongoing and another two and a half percent one time so 19 percent in total 14 percent ongoing and then additionally one of the things that they really expressed was a big issue of concern with them was making sure that they had adequate medical coverage and medical care. So back before 2005, Fresno Unified had what they called lifetime medical. Um, And then as medical costs, you know, rose out of the stratosphere, that stopped being something that we offered. But what we were able to do in this proposal last week is doing what we're called a bridge to Medicare. In other words, if you work 20 years for us and then you retire at 57 and a half, you'll never be without medical coverage. So we will span the gap. From the time you retire until Medicare kicks in. And so you'll be without, you'll never be without medical care, assuming you work 20 years for the district. So, so those are, in addition to several other things we talked about, um, some reduction of class size ratios, we proposed that. But that still seems to be a sticking point. And that was the key, one of the key things that we're working on in our discussions with them today.
0: What, what class size do they want, and what are you guys offering?
1: Well, I mean, I think, you know, everybody kind of generally acknowledges that the lower the classes are, the uh, more convenient it is. It's like a better work uh, experience for the folks that are there because there's less that they have to grade. And there's just generally, um, you know, they're able to make closer connections with the kids that are there. Um, it varies by grade level, to be very honest. Like in higher grades, uh, you're talking, we're, we are pitching a number um kind of in the 30s, 34. We're not saying that's optimal, but we said anything above 34, we would provide compensation for. And they're using numbers that are in more of the 28 range. And so, um, while there really isn't statistical data to show that kids do better academically if they're in smaller class sizes, there is no doubt, but that teaching is made easier if you have fewer kids to manage on a given day.
0: Got it. Now, in, in terms of negotiation with FTA, you know, so you're going to come to some terms. Is there any guarantee that they're not going to strike in three years or have the same issues all over? How does this work?
1: No, there's really no guarantee. I mean, normally our contract runs for three years. This is actually my third one of these. So we had we were in a very similar situation if folks recall back in 20, um, 17, 2018 era. And then three years later from that, we actually negotiated the only contract that was actually ahead of the cycle in Frozen Unified's history where we weren't in this contentious space. And then fast forward, you have the pandemic, some separation of the two entities, and now we are where we are. And so the goal, what we're trying to do, Darius, and one of the things that we pitched is to have like a labor management team that meets every two weeks to just knock out what they believe to be the big issues are of the district. So we're never that far apart. And we don't have, I mean, the goal is to not do this every three years, specific to your point, right? How can you stay in regular collaborative space with folks so that you're not having this really contentious moment, you know, on a three-year cycle? But it's not unheard of for school districts to strike, or at least to be in the situation where we're in. If you recall, Sacramento City School District struck recently. That's true of LA Unified. That's true of Oakland USD. San Francisco Unified had a strike authorization vote just last week and was able to settle. So. In the major urban districts of the state of California, this is not entirely out of the realm of reality.
0: So the decision, so we know who to give credit to and who to blame uh, things don't work out. Decision makers on both sides, on the FTA, is that Manuel Bonilla and Lewis Jam- uh, Jameson.
1: Yeah, from our side, we have myself and our deputy superintendent, our chief negotiator, who is David Chavez, also the head of HR, and then our chief financial um representative, who is Patrick Jensen. And on their side of the table, yes, you have Manu Mania, the president of the Fresno Teachers Association. You have their executive director, Lewis Jamerson. You have Taylor Vitsium, who is their bargaining coordinator. And they uh, brought Felipe today, too. Felipe is like a labor organizer working for FTA as a full-time staff member. So there's four on each side. And at current, we're meeting with uh, two two former faculty members at Fresno Pacific, Linda Hoff and Larry Dunn. Formerly of the uh, education division and the and the Center for Peacemaking Studies. They helped us six years ago, Darius, when we were having friction with each other. And so they're helping coordinate this effort right now, too. And we do better in a facilitated conversation. So that's what's taking place in Lifetime right now. And so we're at it. We've been at it today. Like immediately following, it's ironic. Like they had the press conference, we then are going back together trying to reach some stasis. And we'll, I'm sure we'll do the same thing tomorrow because even though we're going back at seven, I doubt we'll knock out all the issues that are still outstanding between the parties.
0: Let me ask one final question and I wanna turn it over to Mike. Uh, what is CTA's role, California Teachers Association role in this negotiation? Are they wanna make sure the teachers strike? They wanna make sure uh, teachers are doing different things? Are they uh, you know, encouraging uh, a settlement quickly and then, I, and by the way, that's not my final, my final question to you at the end. After Mike asks his questions, is what message do you want to do? You want the parents uh, in the district to hear from you. Uh, this this uh, you know broadcast. Uh, th- this show will be broadcast uh, you know many times uh, over the next week. And sure. what do you want teachers to? Uh, what message do you want teachers to hear from you? And what message do you want parents to hear? But uh, let me ask uh, CTA's involvement first.
1: So I think I, you know, I'm ill-advised to like talk about what the interaction patterns are from the side that's across from me, yeah. you know. But CTA is the parent organization of the labor union of which FTA is one of their constituent members. Now, FTA has a lot of latitude to kind of do things of their own volition because of their size. We are California's third-largest district, but generally. A CTA would kind of like, they use language like our union brothers and sisters, they would help to support um, any type of labor action. There's a question about how much connective tissue exists in this current action between FTA and CTA. I can only speculate on that. There's been discussion that there's been um, some division there. But again, that's not really mine to say. CTA's rule would be to make sure that FTA has everything it's need. Born on behalf of its members to have as much success as they can and that you know their opportunity to negotiate a fair and equitable contract exists i think that would be cta's role and they'd probably tell you that's their job uh um, a thing and we don't try to manage that from our side of the table i mean our we're just trying to make sure we bargain in good faith with the people that are across the table from us
0: so what is your message to parents and also to teachers
1: yeah, we want me. our parents to know that uh, our schools are going to be available safe and open, even in the event of a teacher strike on November 1st. And, uh, they, you know, we're People are very concerned, like, oh, my gosh, should we bring our kids to school? I think every parent needs to make that decision for her or for his her. self. And I would say, like, in Fresno, the schools play a vital role in terms of stability for the families of our community. And so we will be there and trying to make your kids' lives as turnkey as we possibly can. Some people have been like, hey, if my child's teacher is not as there, we are providing substitute teachers that are fully credentialed and fully um, fingerprinted in order to have an opportunity for kids to come to school. So, you know, I just leave it to every family to make those decisions that they believe are in the collective best interest of their kids. For our teachers, you to know, we're still actively bargaining with your uh, labor leaders and we're still doing our very, very level best. And we will continue to do that, you know. Today, notwithstanding, and I'm not going to dismiss uh, the, the, the size of the vote or the the magnitude of the vote, uh, but our responsibility remains the same. Like, how do we go about negotiating a fair and equitable fiscally responsible contract for everybody? And that's what we're doing. We've been doing it today, and we'll keep doing it all the way up until folks strike. And even after a strike, we'll potential strike, we'll keep doing that same work. Because at some point, you have to land on the labor agreement that everybody can live with. So we recognize that's our responsibility.
0: Awesome. Great.
2: Those are those are great comments. Mike, any questions from you? Uh, Not really a question. I want to thank the superintendent superintendent for coming on. I know that you're in the middle of negotiations. (laughs) It's a really hot button issue. All of us are concerned about. So it means a lot to be on our show. We really want to keep the public informed about what's happening, especially in the local community. Full disclosure, I have a teacher at home, so I have a special perspective on this. And I I just want to add. You know, it's it's, while the issue of money comes up, I really don't think it's all about dollars and cents. And I say this respectfully. I think that we always say, historically, even when I was a kid, being a teacher is one of the most important jobs. And I I really do think it is. It's just as as important now as it was when I was a kid. But I think it's harder to be in the classroom now. And um, I really, uh, again, I appreciate all the negotiations. I hope that both sides come together. I know we're all focused on our kids, but I think it's just hard being a teacher today.
1: I think that's exactly right Mike. I think nobody would argue but that teaching is one of the more challenging you know professions that somebody undertakes and moreover like you're serving others every day all the time. So if there's anything we can do in this negotiation process to ease that burden on behalf of the you know 4300 teachers that serve the, the kids of Fresno then we want to try and do right by them. But you know that has to be you can say that and it sounds like a platitude you actually have to negotiate a contract that everybody is in agreement with so that that remains the priority
2: let me ask yeah, this and, oh, go ahead sorry. so covid that's one thing that's changed across the board for everybody we talk a lot about that do you think that maybe exacerbated the situation that led up to a strike vote
1: well i think for sure in as much as we got out of a regular cadence of meeting although we were still talking about that but i think definitely in terms of um it's just different in terms of kids going back to school. Like pre-COVID, even for my own kids, many of you know I have a lot of kids at home. If my kids said they had a fever, I was like, all right, there's the Tylenol, I'll go to school. Like that's not necessarily the post-COVID reaction to that, right? Like, And you're seeing on a national basis, chronic absenteeism is at an all-time high because we've not gotten back into the habit of just routinely expecting our kids to school, which for us, Mike, is part of the reason we would do everything we could do to keep our schools open. Even in the event of a teacher strike, because the last thing we need is another protracted absence of our kids not being in school. Nobody would argue, but that distance learning is a poor second choice to having kids in space in their schools, face to face with people that are providing um, instruction to them.
0: Okay, uh, with that, I just have one. I, I want to echo what Mike said. You can put everybody back on. Uh, I think teachers, is one of the teaching is one of the most difficult jobs, and I agree uh, with Mike. Uh, well, I grew up in a different country in, in Iran where you had to have so much respect for teachers and you couldn't talk back or negatively. Well, and here, I mean, in this day and age, you can cuss back, throw stuff at. Uh, I don't Can Is it legal to shoot kids? I mean, shoot. I'm sorry. Shoot teachers. If a kid wants to shoot a teacher, is that legal or no? I'm not saying with a gun, but with like a water gun. No, any of that
1: would not be received particularly well. Even the okay. like making a thing. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend any of that. <laughs> it is.
0: It, it's such a difficult job in this day day and age. And and really, you guys do God's work. Uh, the other issue is drugs, right? You have, yeah, I mean, in our society, drugs uh, is are not going away. Um, you can get fentanyl within 15 minutes, and uh, you know, you guys have a lot of responsibility for educating our, our kids about the damages of, of all these drugs. So and, and unfortunately, so much of the family structure has is not quite there as it was fifty or sixty years ago. So a lot of folks rely on schools to fix so many ailments in our in our society. So you have a lot more responsibility, a lot more accountability. I mean really uh, Godspeed to you and all the teachers, educators I want to give a shout out to school psychologists uh, who deal with some of the most challenging situations and, and really the, the kids that really deserve and need the most
2: amount of uh, amount of care. So uh, thank you. Thank, oh, go ahead, Mike. I think you said, and if Superintendent Nelson wants to comment, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think being a teacher and the plethora <clears throat> of responsibility, it's way more now than it was when I was a kid growing up. And I remember growing up in the time when um th- this col- columbine happened and those things and it was a dramatic thing right. a shift for our country those things yeah. happened not to that degree and one time i was at Tenaya, and larry powell was the principal that year and this one kid in class said hey check out my guns and he was i mean he, he knew what he was doing he was doing both and i know he was removed from the classroom that day that was taken very seriously now we're talking about a violent issue I think I, I think what I think some of us in the public are looking for is to ensure that if kids get off track that way, that there will be some kind of consequence that the other kids can see. So things are staying orderly yeah. and we're moving forward. Exactly. So that makes any sense. Thank you,
1: Mike. you're right. I think we take on societal roles that we have not taken on in times past uh, to good or bad effect. Right. I think it's not necessarily our responsibility to be the nutrition and the policing and the social emotional wellness capital in the universe. But honestly, like we do the things that we need to do in order to keep our kids safe. And to your point, Mike, like kind of on the right track and try to get them back on track if they're moving in a direction that's not going to help them long-term. We're not going to help society long-term. But uh, nobody would argue, but that teachers and educators in general uh, play a major role. And I'm thankful to be able to serve the kids of the Valley for 32 years now.
0: Fantastic. We're going to move on. Uh, uh, thank you, Bob, uh, for joining so us. so much. We know, uh, we know who to blame for Fresno Unified's uh, things that are not going so well. <laughs> well bring and, it on. We and and, and here's the thing. When things go well, unfortunately, nobody gets up and says, hey, you did a great job. Thank you. Uh, but we're gonna, we plan on doing that uh, on GV Wire and on Unfiltered. Uh, what happened to our guests? Oh, okay. So now we're going to bring Hamid Anthazom and... Uh, uh, Leon, who actually I'm going to let Leon actually give a brief background on all the stuff that he's done, uh, countries that he has served the uh, United States uh, at uh, in the last uh, 20 years, and uh, some of his uh, feedback on life in, in, in that part of the, in those parts of the world, is Mr. Entezon back. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, hold on a second. We can't see you. Uh, there you go. You're back. Okay. Uh, so before we, we're going to talk about what's happening in that part of the world, uh, we're going to show a 30-second clip from slide eight uh, before we launch into uh, your presentation. Chad, let's play eight. That is not the video, folks. Did we load it earlier or no?
3: Okay. When they're almost extinct, you start feeling sorry for them, you know, like animals. So maybe maybe the solution is THAT WE KILL AS MANY PALESTINIANS AS POSSIBLE SO THE FEW OF THEM THAT REMAINS DO NOT BOTHER YOU. And YOU be TALKING when he ABOUT if FOR ANOTHER HUNDRED YEARS, let me just HE'LL you on this. BECOME A TREE
4: HUGGER. LET ME JUST CHALLENGE YOU ON THIS. AND HE WILL CAMPAIGN right, for, listen, FOR for, for you, you preserving keep, THE THREE the YOU KEEP TALKING like, ABOUT yeah, WESTERNERS go. LIKE ME. OKAY. SO LET ME RETURN THE FAVOR. OKAY. <laughs> Hamas is dedicated to the complete eradication of Jewish people. I am they, not the spokesman for Hamas. I'm not saying yeah. you why are. Do you, why do you get... I'm not saying you, not are. Me. Sam, you are. I'm the spokesman. You're talking to me... I fucking hate them. Fuck Hamas. You no, want... Hamas. Are no, you happy? You're missing my point. You're talking in a generalized way about people in the West.
0: Okay. Actually, a chat. uh, we got to go back to the beginning of that interview where he talks about uh, Palestinians and his relationship. Do you have that? I think you. you... Oh, okay. Uh, uh, While we have Hamid Enthizam, because we're going to go back and uh, play just from the very beginning where he talks about his relationship with Palestinians. Uh, Okay, but let's go get it before the show is over. Uh, Let's bring Hamid on. Um, Mr. Enthizam, where is he? Okay. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, you saw parts of that clip. Uh, that's obviously an Egypt, Egyptian comedian talks about. And the, the part we're going to show that should have been in the, that we should have showed earlier, but we'll bring it back on in the next fifteen twenty minutes. Is he talks about you know how difficult it is? Of course, he's a comedian to uh, eradicate or or kill Palestinians. First of all, tell us what you see and, and what's going on in that part of the world. There was a great article on by, i want to make sure I got the name correct. Uh, Walt Stevens, or is it the other way around? Um, that's Yeah, Steven
3: Walt. Steven Stephen Walt. Walt. Yes, Stephen he's, a professor Walt. Of, he's a professor of international relations at Harvard University, by the way. And yeah, he's, he, a column, he taught- yeah, he's a columnist in, in Foreign Policy magazine as well.
0: Yeah, uh, Chad, let's put that uh, screen up. I can't, where, uh, oh, there we go, number 20. Let's put number 20 up, and then let's get Hamid's perspective uh, on that and what uh, what you see happening in that part of the world, and really, what is a solution? What what do you see as a solution? Because in, even in the previous, the clip that we showed, nobody talked about uh, Pierce Morgan nor... Um, Mr. Bassam nor uh, he talks about Robert Shapiro. None of them talk about a solution. So let's put, bring Hamid back on for your comments on what's happening in that part of the world. And really, I want to quickly, in the next five to 10 minutes, get to a solution for our audience.
3: Well, um, you know, you, uh, there were two or three different questions that you posed, actually, <laughs> um, Darius. But look, before we, we go on, is uh, Leo going to be part of this discussion. Uh, uh, Leon
0: it. is is part, uh, Leon has ser- served in that part of the world, and he's going to talk about his perspective on what he's seen on the ground. Let's put Leon and
4: Hamid on.
3: Right. I think it's good okay. for good uh, Leon to also yeah. uh, share
4: his yeah. thoughts as well. Absolutely. Hey, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate that. Well, hold on a oh, second. Hold welcome. on
3: one
0: second. Uh, we have technical difficulties again. It's not. So get Hamid and Leon on please. I think we can hear Hamid. Hamid, you there?
3: Yes, I'm here.
0: Why don't you, okay, we have some, yeah. Chad has some, tips, take, oh, there we go. This may work for now until you can fix the whole screen. <laughs> so you're much smaller for the audience to see. Chad, you're going to be fixing that, yes? Yeah. Okay, so Hamid, uh, tell us your what's, uh, from your perspective, what do you see the challenges and, and maybe some solutions?
3: Yes. Well, first of all, I think, uh, uh, let, let me begin with... Uh, what I see as a critical problem with our involvement uh, in this conflict over the past couple of weeks. And it has to do with uh, the stance of President Biden. Let me also make a disclaimer. I voted for President Biden. So if I come down on him, just be, I just wanted to let you know that I v- voted for him. So when President Biden traveled to Israel last week, he personally assured Benjamin Netanyahu of the U.S. government's unconditional support. Now, Biden's visit, whether he meant it or not, whether his uh, Secretary of State, uh, Anthony Blinken, was on board with it or not, but Biden's visit was perceived by the world, especially in the Middle East, as a public endorsement of Israel's uh, uh, attack on Gaza. So he essentially is perceived to have given a green light to Israel to whatever it wants to do. So the president has bonded the United States of America to Israel at the hip. He has made the U.S. and Israel a team in this war. And in doing so, in the eyes of the world, he has made the United States complicit in everything uh, Israel is doing in Gaza right now. So the munitions that we are sending to Israel, the huge armada that have been sent to Eastern Mediterranean to support Israel's war effort, the $104 billion aid package that President Biden has sent to Congress for aid to Israel and Ukraine, all of these will cement in people's minds the idea that the U.S. and Israel are one. And this, in my opinion, is hugely consequential for our future, Darius. We should not... uh, I cannot emphasize what I just shared with you enough. This is now effectively Biden's war. He owns it. And unfortunately, all of us will pay for it one way or the other unless we correct our stance in this conflict.
0: Got it. Hold on. We have a little bit. Okay, got it. We got that fixed. Uh, I'm going to put something on the screen, Chad. Uh, Can we put item 10 on? The screen. There are several articles. One is a prominent tech conference CEO resigns amid amid backlash for statements over Israel Hamas war. Uh, You can read the the whole article on GB Wire, but basically, uh, I believe he's Irish. If I or he was talking in Ireland, and he was talking about how uh, Israel has been occupying you know palestinians for you know five or about seven decades and the kind of the root cause of all the issue is there and then he got some backlash and he i don't know if he was forced to resign but he uh, he resigned uh, any comments on that Hamid?
3: uh unfortunately uh you know periodically in our beautiful country we go through these episodes of mccarthyism and we're seeing the ugly head of it again um, I'm hearing some disturbing news uh, that some student activists at Harvard, other universities are even being visited by the FBI. Uh, this is very, very unsettling. We have a uh, first amendment uh, in our constitution. Um, we have freedom uh, to express our opinions. We have every day, my kids pledge allegiance to the United States of America. When I became an American citizen, I pledged allegiance to the United States of America, to the U.S. Constitution. Um, I did not pledge allegiance to Iran, to Palestine, to Israel, and nobody else. So we should never come down on any American that speaks his or her mind as long as it's done peacefully and respectfully.
0: But I mean, did they come down on these students that were pro Israeli or they were uh, no, pro-Palestinian?
3: Actually, they oh. were doxxed. It was in the news. It was really embarrassing that the pictures of these uh, student activists on Harvard were posted online. I mean, this is they, it, it puts them in, in danger. People can attack them. I mean, this is McCarthyism at its worst. Or did they learn that
0: from China? And then China do that to its citizens all the time.
3: This is what happened in Iran today. I mean, that's why people like you and I and, and uh, uh, Mr. Carbossi and others fled Iran. Because we just don't want to live in that kind of environment where we have to... Uh, we, this is not a police state. We I,
0: I think Mike was born here, though, by the way. That just oh, only, ap- okay, only applies sorry, to you and about, about your kids. I mean, you, you talk about your wife and your kids.
3: Exactly. I mean, you know, yeah. we are Americans and we've pledged allegiance to this country. And that's where our allegiance must lie.
0: Right. Okay, let's put on slides twelve and then thirteen, and I want to get Hamid's comment on uh, both of those.
3: Well, how about Leon? Let's hear him uh, talk as well. well. We're going to get hold on, hold on. We're going to get to Leon.
0: (laughs) It's 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 my show. We're going to get to Leon in a few minutes. But I I want to get your I want to get your comments very quickly, Hamid, on slide twelve. Let's put that up. Uh, and then we're going to, and then a lot of folks go, what is a, What is the definition of Zionism? So we're going to put up slide 13 now so the audience can see it and understand um, what those exactly mean. Okay, so that's what Zion, a Zionist is. And then uh, let's go back there. Yeah. A little, thank yeah. you. I'm a Zionist. President Biden says, I'm a Zionist, long life bond with Israel. Shapes the war policy. Uh, well, uh, comments this, this, on that?
3: Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. You know, I am so disappointed at President Biden. And let me tell you what. Why? Look, I I know that President Bar- Biden has a good heart, and that's partly why I voted for him. He's a decent man, and we I know very well that uh, he has over his long career in the Senate as a vice president, now as president, he has always had deep sympathy for Israel. He's not pandering to special interests, and I don't think he's doing it uh, for electoral concerns. He is genuine when he supports Israel. During his 36 years in the Senate, Biden was the chamber's biggest recipient in history of donations from Israeli, uh, pro-Israel groups. Um, Now, when he visited Israel last week to offer his administration's unconditional support for Israel, he said that very troubling uh, uh, thing, And, and and I quote him, he said, I don't believe you have to be a Jew to be a Zionist, I am a Zionist. Well, it is okay for Israel's president, Isaac Herzog, to say I'm a Zionist but I don't think it's appropriate for the president of the United States of America to say, I'm a Zionist. I mean, he represents our nation. He represents the Jews in this country, like uh, the uh, uh, Jewish voice for uh, peace, uh, if not now, and others who are actually anti-Zionist. You know, he speaks for Muslims in this nation. So I think his remark Uh, in Israel was very uh, uh, um, uh, wrong. And uh, what is even worse that his irresponsible remark actually plays into the uh, narrative of bigots, into the narrative of anti-Semitic folks who say that Jews control Um, governments around the world, Jews control the US government, Jews control um, the French and uh, the English government, that's their narrative. And when Biden comes out and says, I'm a Zionist, he's playing into their hands. Um, That's what the uh, barbaric mullahs in Iran uh, say. That's what Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and American white uh, supremacists say. So, you know, I'm I'm really angry at President Biden for that remark. Okay,
0: let me move, hold on, Hamid. Let, let me just for the audience, because, you know, I've talked to so many folks that say this is so complicated. It goes back 4,000 years, goes back to Abraham, then goes back to 2,000 years ago, then it goes to the, uh, what is it, Balfour uh, B- 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 Declaration. Balfour D- 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 Declaration. Back in 19, what was it, 17, 18, 19?
3: No, 1919. 1919, yeah, back uh, yeah. So in
0: 19, 1919. So, you know, almost 100 years, 104, 100 and what is it, four years ago, between the French and the Brits. But tell us, you know, we hear uh, Hezbollah from Lebanon attacks Israel. Israel attacks back. Hezbollah kidnaps Israeli soldiers. Then, you know, Hamas attacks. Hamas sends suicide bombers to kill innocent uh, civilians in Israel. They then strike back. Uh, this morning on NPR, I was listening to a program. They were interviewing a, a, an Israeli soldier who said, you know, 10 years ago, we went into Gaza, similar thing happened. We went door to door, home to house to house, room to room. And we were there days we couldn't find the people we were looking for. So we were asked to evacuate. We evacuated and then we carpet bombed that whole area. So, and he goes, it's so traumatic. We didn't find anybody, but we killed everybody. (laughs) So the root cause of this, so that, you know, next year we're not here again. Something else happens. Hamas somehow gets eradicated. Somebody else comes on. What is the root cause of these issues that we're dealing with, and how do we address that so that Israelis, Palestinians, or there's five and a half million Palestinians, and there's like at least five and a half or six million Israelis, Israeli Jews, that live in that area. Uh, if, actually, if we can put up slide twenty-six, how, what is the root cause of this issue, and how do we solve it?
3: Well, the root that cause that's... of the the root yes. cause of the issue, undoubtedly, is the seventy-five year Uh, occupation and colonization of palestinian land by israel i mean that's what uh pretty much the consensus is um in the uh scholarly circles the uh slide that you put on
0: let me me stop you for a second the map we have on the screen let's put the map back on chat that's the camp Clint, Bill Clinton, center, uh, I mean, President Clinton's Camp David proposal in the year no, 2000. No, no, it was,
3: his... I'm sorry, Doric, Dar- uh, it was the Oslo Accord 30 years ago in the White House. Camp okay. David was President uh, Carter's initiative, where he brought um, Anwar Sadat okay. of Egypt and... Uh, That's, uh, okay. Yeah.
0: So so then let's let's uh, chat, if you can, while Hamid is uh, talking about some of the solutions can you find today's map of what West Bank looks like? Because this one showed a big section where West Bank is. Um, Chad, if you can just track that down, and we'll put that, put that up in a couple of minutes. Okay, uh, Hamid, sorry to interrupt you.
3: Well, I guess the uh, slide that you put up earlier, um, Stephen Waltz, Uh, piece in uh, foreign policy, which essentially says America is the root cause of Israel and Palestine's latest war. If you read that article, that's pretty much what is the history behind the current episode of bloodshed and violence uh, that we see in in, in the Middle East. Um, Essentially, uh, Stephen Walt says, that, over the, especially over the past 30 years, since the Oslo Accord, the United States of America pretty much has given Israel a free hand to do whatever it pleases. Whereas, according to the Oslo Accord, we were supposed to facilitate peace negotiations between Palestinian representatives and Israel. We failed in doing that. Um, on top of that, uh, the United States isolated and over-sanctioned Iran, and then Iran created what it calls access of resistance, uh, which essentially pushes back um, against any peace initiative and all of Hezbollah, Hamas, uh, and others. You know, that's unfortunately, uh, that's what happens when when you do not think through of your policies. Uh, And and what Stephen uh, Walt finally said is that the Abraham Accord, which was struck during the uh, Trump administration, pushed the Palestinian issue under the rug. Essentially it said, okay, uh, Arab states like uh, Bahrain and UAE will normalize their relations with Israel without having to deal with the Palestinian issue so that's according to stephen Walt, which i also believe that created this this uh the mess we are in today
0: okay that map that we have actually is not quite the correct map of west west bank map should be just a series of dots chat if you can find one uh from 20 uh, 20- About 2023, ideally. Put it back on, but I mean, uh, I'm going to ask Hamid, I believe that West Bank is just a series of dots, not a contiguous piece of property. You want to put the map map back on? We'll ask uh, Hamid's uh, perspective on that.
3: Well, uh, uh, um, what I I really, are you talking about the the fact that pretty much israel has uh so the, completed the is, west, it, is west bank
0: contiguous like this no map, no no sure. it's not no no, no. so, so this, this is, i this yes
3: is the, i know what you're talking about this, now, is, the, a, uh, the, so
0: Chad, this is not the cor- hold on no. this is not the, this is not the correct map why don't you track one down 2023 it's the it's a, it's a series of dots, dots uh, right so yeah.
3: in a nutshell so you have the gaza strip right which is, right. and one side it's the, you know, uh, it's water. The other side is Egypt. And from three sides, it is surrounded by, for the other side, surrounded no, no, we, by the Hamid,
0: we know that. Let, let me fast forward. Yeah. The, what What is the problem, and do you have a solution for the problem? Well, we can be here online. We have 15 more minutes, and I want to get to Leon. Okay, uh, so here's what we need s- to do. I mean, we, have, okay.
3: we have to put out the fire at hand, right? So, we have a really horrendous situation uh, go, going on in the Middle East. We need to put out the fire first. So, there are three things that I think must be done. First of all, uh, in my opinion, we need to have an immediate ceasefire. The UN Secretary General uh, today. Um, called for an immediate ceasefire. Archbishop Justin Welby, the head of the Church of England, um, Catholic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hamid,
0: Hamid, I'm, I'm sorry. Who cares? This is not about those guys. This is about United States, Israel, and Hamas inside Gaza. Nobody else matters. I mean, the, the, well, the Benjamin, what I'm saying- Benjamin Netanyahu is not going to say, you know what? Because Archbishop Bishop of this church in whatever country said i should have a cease no this is about geopolitics it's about power it's about uh you know making sure you punish the people that have you know invaded your your property in in israel uh so they don't care about that what do you what do you think is uh, is a solution to well, uh, and by the, the thing, way
3: yes so my let's put up slides one, 20, 29 without,
0: and 30 also
3: yeah without that, an immediate ceasefire Darius what's going to happen It will widen the conflict. Mark my word. If if what you see, the attack on Gaza, if it continues, Hezbollah will get more involved in this war. And Hezbollah is also bonded at the hips with Iran, which means Iran is going to get involved. When Iran gets involved, the U.S. has to attack uh, Iranian assets around the Middle East. Iran will fight back. And it's not out of the question that Iran would attack countries like UAE and Bahrain. So, yes, ceasefire does matter. I'm saying the reason I'm saying we need to have a ceasefire because I don't think we want to widen the conflict. The second thing that must be done, in my opinion, the the U.S. must work to secure the release of all hostages immediately. Hamas's taking of civilian hostages was a war crime. War crime. It is. Well, it was unconscionable. It's unforgivable. Those two hundred twenty two Israeli hostages must be released immediately. And that's what I think Secretary uh, Secretary of State Blinken must work uh, hard to achieve. Thirdly, going back to the root cause of the conflict, in my opinion, the US must say unequivocally to Israel, listen, the Palestinian issue cannot be shoved under the rug any longer. We have to deal with it. We will not provide you unlimited support unless and until you sit down and negotiate with the representatives of Palestinians in good good faith and stop the expansion of settlements in occupied territories. These are the three things that must be done right now to put out the fire and hopefully chart a path forward for a durable and lasting peace in the Middle East.
0: Well, uh, we just had, if you can put slide 23 back up. So we know there's a, a strong Israeli lobby in the United States. I, the, the authors of this book, which are, uh, if I remember correctly, Jewish professor, Jewish American professors, uh, John Mearsheimer and Stephen Walt, this book is uh, almost 20 years old now. Uh, they're the ones that uh, Stephen Walt was the one that, that wrote the article you were referring to earlier Uh Will the U.S., United States government or Joe President Biden take any action that, you know, some of the lobbyists uh, do not support?
3: Well, the thing is, uh, you know, I think President Biden, first of all, needs to set aside his personal feelings and beliefs about Israel. Let, let, hold
0: on a second. Hold on a second. Uh, what happened to Hamid? Uh-oh, we have a Zoom problem. But keep talking, Hamid.
3: Yes. Oh, so, there you go. So we, we need to, I think, our foreign policy apparatus need to sit down and think through uh, what uh, what the end game is. What are we trying to accomplish? I really don't think that Uh, President Biden had thought through uh, the whole uh, process and what the end game was when he went to Israel and made those comments. Uh, I think uh, uh, Secretary of State Blinken in the past couple of days, he is uh, trying to, uh, uh, to walk back a little bit and Make some unequivocal statements that Israel must respect humanitarian laws. It must respect international humanitarian law, the Geneva Convention, um, and and so on and so forth. So we need to sit down and and decide what the end game is. By just you know going in, sending soldiers, warships, that's not going to solve anything. I really don't think. Uh, president Biden and his team have articulated to us what the end game is
0: well th- and there's a lot of folks not a lot, there's at least, uh, you see a lot a lot of this on social media that if uh, Donald Trump was president, first of all we wouldn 't have this issue we wouldn 't have the Ukraine problem because he would cut a deal with uh, President Putin and uh, we would not have a Hamas. Israel issue because he would make sure that, that that never happened. I don't I don't I don't know the details of what how of what he's uh, Proposing Hold On Darius, but
3: Yeah, oh, I think Leon, uh, Mike is that Leon say something.
2: No, I Mike. Yeah on that front President Trump was working to have a, The abraham Accords to link saudi arabia with israel. I think that this put... whole thing is all about Darius okay. This is Iran trying to prevent that from happening by using their proxy, Hamas and Hezbollah. I have some comments. I'll wait till later. I'll leave it at that. Please continue. Okay. Thank you, Mike. No, I think
3: think Mike is absolutely right. Mike, I'm on board with you on that. Uh, And I think a couple of weeks ago, I I was on this program and I mentioned that that was one of the main goals of this attack, right? So, and unfortunately, Hamas achieved that because now... Saudi Arabia (laughs) is not gonna dare to normalize relations with Israel uh, in the near future. That's not gonna happen. So that's why uh, uh, Secretary of State Blinken today, if you read the wire news, he was very explicit. He said that we all need to work toward a peaceful resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. That unfortunately, the Abraham Accords was trying to dismantle that whole project. And that's what Iran was trying to undermine by Hamas attack. So I am very critical of the Abraham Accords. I'm all for normalization of relations between Israel and its neighbors. That's great. That's what needs to be happened. But alongside that, Palestinians must have their independent, viable state. That's what okay. has, we have failed to do in the past 30 years, right, in my me, opinion, move since on. the Oslo Accord.
0: Let, yeah, let me bring in Leon. Uh, you've, you've actually lived in parts of the Middle East. Just tell yes. us your experience uh, in the Middle East. And, uh, and just briefly, we have maybe uh, oh, five yeah. to ten minutes um, left.
4: Uh, basically, like yeah. I said, uh, kind of what we're talking about is a little above my pay grade. But uh, I was more on the day-to-day of what's happening now and mainly with the civilians. And again, the ones getting the short end of the stick in Palestine right now are the civilians, uh, hands down. Uh, as far as my background goes, it's uh, I was with the diplomatic security program after the Marine Corps. Uh, I lived in Basra, Iraq, I, at the U.S. consulate. I lived uh, in Kabul, Afghanistan, and I lived in uh, Baghdad, Iraq, uh, kind of seeing the day-to-day uh, motion of uh, – Now, again, that was a long time ago in the pictures you show them, but uh, that was a handsome man, though, I will say that. But again, (laughs) that was the uh, day to days of how uh, a lot of civilians would be affected by stuff like this. Okay. Uh, This is everything from we're not in a wartime, but they're coming to work in an up armored bus uh, wearing flak and Kevlar. Uh, That's them going to work on a day to day basis due to a lot of these terrorist cells or extremist groups. Uh, where they could be targeted or bribed or so many different things that could happen on that one. Um, as far as the people of what's going on right now in Palestine and Gaza, again, they're really being used as more of a tool right now via Hamas, uh, unfortunately, as either A, a meat shield or B, uh, a deterrent to stop bombing or giving Hamas the ability to hide certain items in uh, civilian wrench environments. That makes sense
0: no great points uh any final thoughts on what you for somebody that's lived in that part of the world beyond uh what it would take to put an end to this uh to these hostilities Palestine Israel
4: well the truth of what i've seen as far as it goes with uh, most of the countries i've worked uh, i've worked in and have lived in uh there's no solution it it sounds horrible to say Yes, we like to think we live in a civilized world, but we have tribes in Iraq that have fought for 500 years, 500 years, that they're still fighting to this day. And it sounds crazy to say 500 years, but it is true on that one. And they just don't relent. Uh, what, is it, what is it for the American uh, playbook with uh, Hatfield and McCoys? You know, there there yeah. is no solution. A lot of stuff, we do need to take a step back as the United States and kind of let that go and see what happens.
0: Good points. I think uh, what uh, Hamid, what Leon is talking about is uh, which so many folks in the West have not seen or experienced the tribalism, the tribalism on the different tribes and how countries, unfortunately, by the French and the Brits were split up. Without any respect to tribes or uh, eth- ethnicity or religion in that part of the world, some, a part of the world where tribalism is is, is so important.
4: I think we lost Uh-oh.
0: his audio. Yeah, I think we do. And then the question from Robert: yeah, Morgan, Do mean, they even I, know why I, I they I are think, fighting? Do they? Do some know. of these folks even know? So, some of the Robert. The answer to your question is: Some of these folks. By the way, there's another root cause of this issue, which is Wahhabism, that teaches hatred of the West and of non-Wahhabi Muslim, uh, Muslims, Christians, Jews uh, all over the world. And uh, is basically born out of Saudi Arabia about a couple hundred years ago, in the, well, 1800, mid-1800s. And some of these kids go to school, get indoctrinated, not only in Saudi Arabia, but in many parts of the Middle East, including Pakistan, and they don't even know. they're just brainwashed from the age of five that uh, non wahhabis are their root cause of evil and their reason for your misery.:
4: Well, I'm sorry, how many a ahead. lot of these extremist gr- groups come from, from Hamas to, uh from Hamas to Taliban to ISIS. They follow that playbook, that uh, extremist playbook. And that this even dates back to Nazi Germany. The, the Nazis did the exact same thing, right. where it started an extremist group, um, get followers, blame a certain group of people, whether it's a religion, whether it's a, uh, a wealth status, whether it's um, race or whatever it is, and they build off that. And sooner or later, they do get in a parliament or a government setting, and they're able to slowly enforce their will and slowly get a grip on the uh, general public. You can see this happening right now. I know we're running out of time, but you can see this happening right now with what happened in Hamas, where they, or with Hamas, grabbing that personnel and making a decision to attack another country or attack Israel, or however you want to word it, and starting a whole war on it.
3: Doris, can you hear me now?
0: Yes, we can. Yes.
3: Yeah. Let me add to a point that Leon raised uh, a few minutes ago. I honestly believe I'm a moderate isolationist. A moderate one. I truly believe that the United States of America should not play the role of the world's policemen. It is not
4: our job. I can agree with that. We have problems here that we need to take care of as well.
3: Exactly. That's, that's, that, I, that's the underlying point in everything that I've said tonight. We have, we have problems in our home. I'm, I'm worried about the future of my three young kids in this country i pay a lot of taxes every year i want my taxes to be spent right here at home right and i raised this point last time as well we are not the policemen of the world we cannot solve the problems between russia and ukraine between palestinians and israelis between iranians and saudi Arabia. And it's not our job how much money we spent uh, leon probably knows it better we spent over two point two trillion dollars with a T in our wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Seven thousand of our soldiers were killed in those wars. What did we get for it? We nothing. just left. We exactly, Leon. Yeah, nothing. No, I agree with you. Thirty thousand of our veterans committed suicide. I'm shouting now. Because I'm mad, I'm angry. 30,000 of our our veterans who came home after these wars, they committed suicide. Where do you see that on Fox? Where do you see that on, on CNN, on CNBC? If we are patriotic Americans, that's what we need to be talking about.
4: No, agreed. And again, like I said, a lot of it needs to be handled at home first and again sometimes again with what was asked of what can what can be a solution, a solution. unfortunately there's not leave them alone let it fight it out to a certain insta- extent until it becomes an atrocity you know and a lot of that again something with an extremist group that has a place in government launching an attack like that now it brought it down on the whole country one thing we were always told when we were traveling uh with uh uh, as U.S. citizens with uh, representing the United States as a contractor, no matter where you go, whether you're on or off, off duty, if you do something stupid out in town or you do something in another country, it's an international incident. Period. You are representing the United States of America. You know. Exactly. Unfortunately, <laughs> that form of government yeah. today, or with Palestine with Hamas launching that, represented all of Palestine. Unfortunately. Which is no, sad. That's,
0: that's, a, that's a really good point. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wrap things up. Before we get to final comments, I've got a few ob- observations. First, I'm going to quote Don Rumsfeld, who used to be defense secretary, uh, recently passed away. He said, for every uh, airstrike that kills civilians in the Middle East, we have to be concerned about how many terrorists we're going to create. Because 300 million Arabs every night watch a different version of the news than Americans do or Europeans do. So killing uh, uh, civilians, killing innocent people creates a lot of anger on both sides, by the way. I mean, look at what Hamas did and what kind of reaction they're getting. But uh, as as we bomb schools or we bomb uh, weddings or just areas of residential... Uh, how many more terrorists do we uh, add to the list? That's Donald Rumsfeld, which I thought was, was very insightful. Abraham Accords. The problem I have with the Abraham Accords is the Palestinians were not, not at the table. It was supposed to be peace between Don, uh, Donald Trump was creating, trying to create peace between Palestinians and Israelis and the overall general Middle East, except half of the party was not in, wasn't at the table. How can you have a peace treaty when the, the one party that you have major issues with is not at the table? Uh, I have a lot of things uh, that, I'm, that were terrified and I'm angry about the Iranian government. They've done so much damage to the Iranian people. They've done committed atrocities against yes. Iranian people. I'm, take Iran from 1978 and fast forward to 2023. They've, this government in Iran has destroyed that country. You're right. But they were not at the table when we were, this is from the article that uh, Hamid was talking about how U.S. foreign policy contributed to the Israeli-Palestinian crisis. When you're trying to bring peace in the Middle East, you got to put all the players at the table. Okay. If we exclude people, then those people will try to create their own subgroups to come after you and, and make sure you're, by the way, it's not a whole lot different than business today. You're trying to put put together, put together a group of home builders to agree on one issue, but you exclude three or four of the key players that should be at the table. These folks are going to create problems for you, and that's the issue you, I have with the is, Abraham Accords. Yeah, you
3: talk, you talk to your enemies, not your friends.
0: Yeah, that's a great to, point.
3: You don't. I mean, that's the point. I mean, you you yeah. you don't talk. I mean, you talk to your enemies. Iran, yes. This is a barbaric regime in Iran. It's a whole, it's 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 a destabilizing force in the Middle East. We all know that. I mean I periodically write articles for GB wired advocating for regime change in Iran. Right? Yeah. But listen, yeah. The, the United the Islamic Republic of Iran is a fact on the ground. You cannot ignore that. You wanna have peace. We have ever since uh, Ronald Reagan was in 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 the office. Every single president had aspired to replace the Islamic Republic of Iran. Donald uh, Ronald Reagan died what twenty thirty years ago, and these mullahs are still in power. So we need to get realistic. Yes, I as an Iranian. Uh, American, I love to see this re- brutal regime replaced. That's my goal. That's what I've been fighting for for the past 42 years. But at the same time, I'm realistic about facts on on the ground. The, if you the, and the challenge, be,
0: before we get to Leon, the challenge with that is uh, Russia
3: Fester and China. Also hold on, hold on, hold on, hold, on. Oh, wait, Hammond, oh, hold on.
0: That's not your show. Let's meet oh, Hammond. Sorry. Okay. No, yes. you don't oh. talk when the host is talking, Hamid. Okay, real quickly. The issue with the Iran at, a year ago, so many folks that finally there's going to be a regime, regime change because of the, the death of that woman, uh, Mahsa, uh, at the I hands of the morality police. And I said, nothing is going to happen because the Chinese and the Russians support the Iranian government. So United States government has got to cut a deal with them and Iran is not important anymore in the world geopolitical issues. So let's move on beyond that and we're going to get to uh, closing comments. We'll start with you, Hamid. You have one minute.
3: Well, I've said uh, you know everything that I wanted to say, probably I got into trouble Uh, by by (laughs) speaking candidly, but I really mean it. I mean, if we want to have, first of all, either our government should completely abandon the Middle East and say, as Leon said, forget about it, none of our business, we have no interest there, goodbye. Or if we want to be involved and engaged in the Middle East, we need to be more even-handed. We need to recognize that without resolving the Palestinian issue, without the Palestinians having an independent state of um, their own, there will never be a lasting, durable peace in the Middle East, or at least peace between Israel and Arab nations.
0: Thank you, Hamid. Uh, Leon, any final comments? And let's keep all four of us on the screen, please, Chad. By yeah. the way, I'm sorry. Before before we get to Leon, did you find that uh, uh, map of West Bank? Let, let's let's put let's put. I'm going to put because we want to make sure the audience gets the correct map. Let's put that up for a second. And did you find the the first part of that video clip? Okay. There you go. That's probably that may not even be a recent one. It says 2020. There you go. Okay. So that's what uh, that's what the West Bank looks like. The green dots are. That's again back in 2020. I think it's different even today. Our our Palestinian uh, cities. Uh, I think the balance is under Israeli occupation, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Uh, Leon, final comments?
4: Yeah, just a couple things. Keep it in a minute, I promise. Uh, One, you can't negotiate with unwilling. Kind of like how we're saying, hey, Iran wasn't at the table or whatever it may be. Again, if somebody doesn't want to deal with you, they're just not going to show up and they're going to do their own thing, which is sad, you know, Uh, which... Which sucks uh, Two, one of the biggest things I want to pose on this one, which uh, as far as it goes with what has happened in Palestine, with who got into government over the last 20 years and everything else. And even what we're talking about with Iran, people, of the United States, be careful who you vote in. It's hard to vote them out, you know, know their purpose. And just because you're a Republican or just because you're a Democrat, don't party vote. Use your brain. Pick yourself. Lastly. And we know we're going to say, because it, it's duck and Cover Tactical, stay armed. We live in a country that uh, we have the Second Amendment. Not only do we have the right to bear arms, we also have the ability to bear arms. Uh, I think it'd be a very different story in a lot of different countries, because most countries are not allowed firearms. They're not allowed to train with them. They're not allowed to do any of that. So keep that in mind. And uh, like I said, I think it'd be very different in uh, Palestine if the people were armed.
0: You know what, I, I want to actually, before we get to uh, to Mike, talk about what Leon just said. You hit the nail on the head. I've said this many times. If people of Iran had weapons, yeah. this government in Iran would have been overthrown a long time ago. I think Leon's point is if Palestinians had weapons, Hamas wouldn't be around because 70% of Palestinians oppose the Hamas government. So they're getting crushed in the middle um, by, by Hamas and by Israelis really um, oh,
4: yeah. yeah. And again, on that one, the civilians are always the ones that get the short of the stri- stick. And I can tell you from when we closed Basra, Iraq down, and even when uh, I left a couple months before Kabul closed down. But I guarantee you, those were some bad days for, and as we all know, that was uh, some bad days for the Afghani's, the normal Let, civilians.
0: No, total, I mean, I, I was honestly ashamed of how we pulled pulled out of Afghanistan. I'm really disappointed, ashamed. All yep. the loss of American lives, not only loss, but also the trauma and the, the folks that were maimed uh, and yep. the loss of uh, civilian lives on the other side. And then after 20 years, we had almost nothing to show for, which is really very, very disappointed at how President Biden, and I'm going to say that, I'm pissed off, uh, pulled out of Afghanistan and, and the way he did. Let's put up before we get to Mike. Let's put up slide four, and I want Leon to tell us actually what is he, what he does. Uh,
4: okay. Uh, okay. As far as the shop goes, thank you very much. Uh, basically, we're your friendly local gun shop. Uh, we kind of have a belief to uh, get you over to the shop and uh, get you behind a firearm, and not only that, get you trained. Whether it's your CCW, it's recreational shooting, anything like that, um, we don't want to be your typical gun shop. We want to be your friendly gun shop where we actually talk to you and not treat you or talk down to you.
0: Awesome, thank, thank you, Leon. Please stay on before uh, we, uh, until we, we've all wrapped up. Oh, uh, absolutely. Mike, uh, final comments?
2: Yeah, I've heard, tried to be patient on this one. Um, Darvis, uh, a question uh, was made earlier about where I was born. You know, if if you look at the back of my neck, there's a little tag there that says made in Fresno. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, Wait, I had to uh, correct Hamid, Hamid on that. Yes, yes.
3: <laughs>
2: no, I'm thank te- you, no,
3: thank I'm, you I for correcting me, Mike. No, I'm, okay. th- I'm okay, keep going and, uh, on
2: Fresno, Fresno, uh, uh yeah. proud. okay. So, look, um, there's been a lot of debate, uh, more robust debate on this issue domestically than almost any other important issue we're facing so i'm a little surprised at the reaction americans have had to this um it's it's crazy because now all of a sudden not not our panel but people out there in the general public everyone's now an expert on the middle east everyone has a phd yet if you show them a map they won't know where israel is they can't point it out so i just find it very very sad that we're not focusing on our domestic issues which are critical as well and we all want to have an opinion on an issue most of us myself included don't truly understand um i think it's really naive to expect israel not to react the way they did if the drug cartels in mexico invaded our country and in one day killed 50,000 americans do you think democrats and republicans wouldn't come together to kick their ass do you think there wouldn't be collateral damage doing that remember the reaction we had to 9 11. now i understand it got way out of hand hindsight's 50 50. But the reaction Israel is having, you can game that out. It's very predictable. And I think that's exactly what Hamas wanted, despite the impact it was going to have on the people they claim to serve, that, who elected them back in 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the need for a two-state solution is as important now as it was the day before the terrorist attack occurred in Israel by Hamas. But Hamas has done nothing to help. The biggest beneficiary is Iran. I believe they are at the core. So we talk about the best way to respond. If you want to cut off the legs to Hamas and Hezbollah, it's Iran. It's always been Iran. It doesn't matter if there are Republicans or Democrats in power one way or another. They have all been too soft on this regime. Um, you know, I really, really do believe that instead of sending $14 billion to Israel and Gaza, $1 billion, $1 billion to support the protest movement in Iran. I mean, with all due respect, we are negotiating with our enemies every time the US wants to negotiate with Iran. It's not just now, it's happened before. And, but these aren't our neighbors. These are very dangerous people. And we all talk now about uh, um, Massa Amini. And that's great. She's a tragic victim. But you know a name no one remembers? Neda al sultan She was the Massa back in 2009 during the Arab Spring when our go- government, unfortunately, instead of supporting the people of Iran, Ended up siding tacitly with the mullahs. That was the closest they ever got to being removed. Imagine what that would do to all the terrorist groups around the world they support. I just I don't believe you can negotiate with these people. I, you cannot negotiate with crazy. They're not like, oh, they're crazy. They are lunatics. Lunatic. They're crazy. And Hamas, they're crazy. There's no rationale what they did. They knew these people were going to get killed. Their own people were going to get killed. And they did it because they wanted to put the world on fire. And I, I'm sorry. I just I, I don't think we can be naive here. This is a geopolitical game. If we don't play it, Russia's playing it. China sure as shit is playing it. We have to be involved. But the problem is it's always on us. Europe isn't doing enough. We have to put pressure and say, we're going to give them money. We're going to match you. You give them money. Then we'll give you money. Um, I'm sorry. I'm I'm going way off track here. I do want to say, I, I think the link between a lot of this, it was a 1974 Arab oil embargo. The West got angry that the Iranian government, back then our ally, and that Arabs were making all this money for oil and started slowly destabilizing. And unfortunately, in 1978, 79, with President Carter, we got on the bandwagon, removed the Shah. Christmas of that year, our ally government was gone. The, they thought they could negotiate with the mullahs. They still think they can do that. And the the, uh, they were, the, uh, the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. Remember? We helped bin Laden. We helped these the, the the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. We were allies with them, helping them get rid of the Soviets and they attacked us anyway. These people are crazy. There's no negotiating with them.
4: So, so I have a quick question. If yeah. there's no negotiating with them, which is fine, and I'm more with you than you think, what do we do? Do we eradicate them? Do we wipe them off the map? Do we bomb them back in the Stone Age? Do we take their okay. stuff away? Right. So
2: when you talk about like bombing them, the problem with bombing is collateral damage, going after Hamas and eliminating them. That's fair game. It, it helps everybody. That's how do you unfair, do that, yeah. Mike? Yeah. Well, no, Mike, how do you
4: do that? How do you
3: go exactly. after that's Hamas? That, that's right the there. catch, though. No, that's the problem, how, how do we Mike? do that? Well,
1: if Absolutely. I may for a second,
4: gentlemen, if yeah. that's OK. Yeah, please. Look, part of the point I was making on that, whether it's Taliban, Hamas or ISIS, they don't fight fair. You're going to get civilian casualties. <laughs> Hands down, whether we're clearing room for room and wasting our guys' lives and then making a bad shot, whether it's IEDs, them being Paul. used as meat shields, them using uh, being hidden, like I mentioned earlier, and, uh, or keeping civilians in tactical points for them where they're storing either high-profile people, supplies, or ordnance. So if it's go in and eradicate and go and fight, and I fought this for years in the war of, oh, hey, you know, we got to pull your chain back or whatever. If we're going in there. You have to know that there's going to be civilian casualties. And you can't go, oh, shame on you, US, shame on you, Israel, shame on you, Palestine, or whoever it may be when civilian casualties happen. It's part of war. We will not have five minute wars with zero collateral damage and zero civilian uh, casualties and no casualties on our side. That's an American thing that people think that's a war that exists. That's called politics. And when politics fails, we go to war.
3: I think, on. may I add something? Yes, Hamid, right.
0: b- very briefly, you have uh, yeah, 20 right. seconds or less.
3: Mike, oh. you were right before when you said that the whole purpose of this attack was to first undermine the A- Abraham Accords, right? You're de- definitely right about that. And secondly, Iran is the beneficiary of this whole mess. Iran wants uh, To have mass casualties in Gaza,
0: we're gonna move on we're gonna Mike Hamid. I'm sorry. We have to move on because we're Substantially hold on hold hold on one second. We we gotta wrap this up if you have time We're gonna come back to Mike briefly. Let me just say this. I got a lot of points. You guys have made a lot of fantastic points Uh, President Biden gave Iran 6 billion. It's Iran's own money Frozen a long time ago. I don't. I don't know. Maybe 40 years ago. But give Iran six billion dollars. What is Iran going to do? Well, it, it's still in banks in the UAE, supposed to be supposed to be used for humanitarian aid, which now I guess has been frozen. Uh, Mike brought up a fantastic point. It was President Obama, another Democrat president, that in 2009 looked the other way. He had just become president, and when there was the Green Revolution in Iran, he didn't do anything about it. He just said there was an opportunity for the United States to get involved. And what Robert Wharton just put in here, send the people pallets of AK-47. I said that to several members of Congress. You want to see regime change in Iran, send in pallets of, it doesn't matter who you give it to almost. There's hundreds of thousands of people in the streets of Iran that protest annually, sometimes every month. They get rounded up, they get put in jail, a few get killed because they can't defend themselves. And cell phone towers are controlled by government. So, Mike, fantastic point. And of course, President Carter was, we're gonna blame him for the revolution in Iran in 1979. He said he you know he wants more democracy in Iran, which we all do, all Iranians want more democracy. But he was fooled by the Ayatollahs in Iran, by Ayatollah Khomeini, who said, let me come and take over. I'm going to create democracy in Iran. Well, he came in and really, I mean, destroyed that country called Iran that so many people today don't even, don't even remember. So, yes, Robert Wharton, our Second Amendment is so important. I cannot emphasize that enough, folks. There's folks that talk about we, we shouldn't have guns, people shouldn't have guns in our country, but I can, as an immigrant... this beautiful country, and a country that nobody can own guns except the police and the military, that's Iran, most Middle Eastern countries, I can't tell you how important our Second Amendment rights are. And people that want to take that away, I have a major issue with. Um, Finally, before I go back to Mike, my opinion, the root cause of all these issues, Palestine, Israel, Spills over to the, to other parts of the Middle East because, as Mike beautifully said, it Iran is involved. Iran funds Hezbollah. Iran funds Hamas. It is the occupation of the Palest five and a half million Palestinian people by Israel? And nobody wants to talk about that. We're going to have this these these attacks now. We're going to try to go on. We're going to try to obliterate Hamas. Can it be done? My answer is probably no. They may say we give. Are they going to give up? Answer is probably no. But until the occupation of this 5.5 million Palestinian people is over next year or the year after or five years from now or eight years from now, we're going to have the same issues. It's going to cost American money. Uh, it, it could cost America's reputation. It could cost uh, American lives. I'm thinking, If do I want to travel to Egypt? <laughs> do, I want, do I, as an American citizen, want to travel to Jordan? <clears throat> and so... You remember, folks, 300 million Arabs see a different version of the news that we see in our country every night. They don't see Fox News. They see Al Jazeera, which, you know, puts up a lot of very interesting uh, and objective, in in a lot of cases, uh, videos on what's happening in that part of the world. So until we deal with that, it's going to be very difficult. And sometimes, honestly, I think what Hamas did was suicide for Palestinians. I'm thinking, is there a link between Hamas and military spending? And military industrial complex, I mean, a lot of not more weapons are going to get built and used. Um, so, yeah, th- those are those are my thoughts. And, and in Iran, until China and Russia agree, it, this Iranian regime of Ayatollahs is not going to go anywhere. Mike, you had a couple of comments you wanted to add, um, oh, and we're
2: that, substantially over helpful. now. Well, that's 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 actually very constructive, Darius. I appreciate that. I think another fair question is, how is it possible the Netanyahu government didn't see this coming? I mean, I really believe the ultimate blame is on Hamas. They started the fire. But I think that the failure of the government, uh, despite all his tough talk, has plunged the region into chaos. And at some point, he has to atone for that. Now, I want to talk about another Democratic president, and that's Bill Clinton. He probably got us the closest to an actual deal. Unfortunately, uh, with the uh, Clinton parameters, it wasn't perfect. There was a short window. But then you had Ehud Barak, Barak, who was the prime minister, one of the decorated uh veterans of israel lost his election and the labor party went out of power and Likud came in and it was done so peace is possible with the right people at the table it's a dream but it's possible it's just um i do want a ceasefire i agree with that because that's the only way we're going to calm things down but you can't have a ceasefire and then have hamas at the table that isn't an option in my opinion final
0: 10 seconds more from leon or hamid
4: yeah, uh, Mike, I agree with you more than you know on a lot of this stuff. Um, I'm I'm right there with you, but uh, kind of touching on the last part of it where you said, "Hey, Hamas shouldn't be at the table." No, I think they should. It should be the same thing of guess what? You're going to trial of whatever it may be, whether it's uh, death penalty or we're gonna we're gonna squash this right now with this organization. My thoughts. Thank you, Leon. I th- yeah, I- yeah,
3: but close- very quickly, listen. As I said before. China is a totalitarian state, no respect for democracy, no respect for human rights, but we are in constant communication with them, constant dialogue with them. We strike deals with them. The same goes uh, for Vladimir Putin. So all I'm saying is as bad and as horrific as the Iranian regime is, as Hamas is, You cannot ignore them if you want to have peace in the Middle East.
0: Great points, Uh, and I'm gonna echo what Hamid said. Um, China is probably our biggest enemy. They steal our technology, they steal our our technology for weaponry, for uh, high-tech stuff, and they're gonna, yes. That's one, one of these days they're gonna eat Taiwan and that's going to create its own set of issues, uh, but yeah, we talk to them. We talk to them every day. The, uh, whether you know our senior diplomatic o- officials visit China, they visit uh, Russia. So we have to talk to them uh, if we want to get to a peaceful uh, solution.
2: Um, Darius. Any other comments? I think we should talk to Iran. Let's talk to them and say, hey, do you want a window seat or an aisle seat? But you're going to get your ass out of the country. That's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, Mike, as, as Leon said that you uh, that, hey, he's on board with you. Listen, both of us share the same conviction that this brutal regime in Iran must go. Right. It's a medieval regime. We I mean, I can't say enough about how medieval this regime is. But if as as a citizen of the United States of America, I'm saying if our government wants to be involved in the Middle East, if our government wants to uh, strike a peace deal in the Middle East, all the parties must be at the table. That's all I'm saying.
2: Yeah, I, I think okay. we have been talking to Iran. The Biden administration has really stepped that up. They, you know, exchanged the six billion dollars. I know it was their oil revenue. And we traded the same number of hostages for the ones we got. And this happened a month later. Iran, they're very, the government, they're not the people. There's a big disconnect. The government is extremely cunning. They've been this way for a long time. And if you have them at the table, there won't be a deal. That's the point I'm trying to make with Iran. Okay, Mike,
3: I guess you probably know I spent 100 days in solitary confinement. In Iran's prison back in 2002 so I'm not unfamiliar with how brutal and awful this regime is right so either we get out of the Middle East or if we want to stay in there we need to be realistic about our options
0: good points with that I'm going to just read a couple of comments there's several comments on our Second Amendment rights and protection of those Uh, uh, Cindy Vernon uh, Paisano says hey how she, she appreci- appreciates the conversation and how uh, our, we have to protect our Second Amendment rights. Uh, Susan uh, Valdivino says uh, Newsom was just over in China. What what does that tell you? I'm sure he wasn't ta- visiting with the people. Uh, and, of course, uh, Robert Wharton has got a comment about um, Governor Newsom that you can read on comments on our Facebook feed. Okay. And with that, I want to thank you, uh, Hamid and Leon, for joining us. Uh, thank you. Mike, thank you for joining us via Zoom. Um, and we, ho- we hope that this was informational to all of you. I- I'm sure this is not going to be the last time we talk about Palestine, Israel. As more issues unfold, we hope to have Hamid back on maybe as early as next Tuesday night. To have another robust <laughs> discussion, uh, we're going to try to make it more brief because we're only. We're thir- only <laughs> we're only thirty minutes over. So with that, <laughs> have a great week, and I hope to see uh, all of our uh, audience uh, next Tuesday evening. Good night. Good night,
3: Good night everybody. Thank you.